Good evening, everyone. Luke Slayball back here for another episode of Raw Tools. Happy Tuesday. Happy late Valentine's Day. Happy to have on Lachey Davis-Williams from the NFLPA and former NFL receiver DeAndre Burrell. This episode's coming out just a little bit late because of some extra plans on Sunday and Monday. Of course, the Super Bowl is in the books. Rams beating the Bengals 23-20. to And I'll give you my quick thoughts on that. My first takeaway is not, oh, Aaron Donald was so powerful and the Bengals just couldn't keep up and the O-line is deteriorating. All that is true, and that's an easy take and a lazy take. When I look back on Sunday's game, I come out of it thinking, wow, Bengals changed the game. You remember this past offseason during the draft, late April, early May, there were those memes coming out, the picture of Joe Burrow throwing the ball, and in front of him an O-lineman that says, anybody. And then Jamar Chase out, way open, downfield. And Burrow's just getting his butt kicked by a defensive lineman. And then it has, in an ensuing slide, Joe Burrow, Panay Sewell up front, very talented offensive tackle, drafted by the Detroit Lions. And then it says, anybody, with a receiver downfield, making a complete catch successfully. The argument back in the 2021 draft was that the Bengals would be wise to pick an offensive lineman like Sewell to take care of Joe Burrow. And it didn't really matter which weapons Burrow had downfield for him. He needed to be protected. Again, that's a rational thought and a really good take for this draft. However, that's not what happened. The Bengals actually asked Joe Burrow for his input and decided to draft his former LSU teammate and receiver Jamar Chase. Chase ends up having a historic rookie season. Bengals make the playoffs, and they don't without him. And I was thinking, you go back and you look at the last three teams to win the Super Bowl. Rams, Buccaneers, Chiefs. One thing that put them at the top of their respective conferences was the weapons that they have. It was a... Not many people knew what to think of the Rams' acquisition of OBJ, Odell Beckham Jr., uh, but he ended up having an outstanding first half of football in the Super Bowl. Again, they don't win the game without him. And people thought at the time, oh, he's taking away attention from their number one receiver, Cooper Cup, get Van Jefferson open as well. You can't understate the, the importance of weapons, the diversity and just the stacking of your top three receivers and a complimentary run game as well. You look at the Chiefs and the Buccaneers in particular, they had all the tools, all the weapons available for Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady respectively. That Buccaneers team had Gronk, had Chris Godwin, had Scotty Miller, uh, Antonio Brown even, and a serviceable running back uh, to complement that. The Chiefs also, Kelsey, Hardman, Tyreek Hill, obviously, and a decent running back to complement that passing game. And both the Buccaneers and the Chiefs had above average to great O-lines to help protect their quarterbacks. Tom Brady in his old age definitely needed it to feel comfortable. That's why they ended up picking Tristan Wirfs in that draft. But the Chiefs even still, after winning the Super Bowl, kept going after offensive skill players. And I was thinking Sunday night after the game, where have I seen this shift before? Where offense is up, the increase in skill is necessary on the perimeter, in the running game. And then I realized that's exactly what's happening in the NHL and has been happening in the NHL since the, the lockout, the most recent lockout. There's been such an increase in scoring, especially recently, with teams averaging more than three goals a game, that your, your bottom six forwards can be finesse and skill players. And you can have success. Offense is up. Think of the two teams that made the postseason in the NFL this past year that no one really counted on making it. Both from Philadelphia, the Eagles and the Pittsburgh Steelers. 
both went out and got skill players when arguably their picks could have been used for something in the trenches, especially Pittsburgh. They ended up getting Najee Harris, the running back, out of Alabama. Eagles got Devontae Smith, also out of Alabama. Heisman winner, wide receiver. Ends up having a great rookie season. And yeah, the Eagles are a power run team. However, it's a great weapon to have. That's what will help Jalen Hurts play up his game. Jury's still out on whether he's a great quarterback, but he's a good quarterback. He's a leader. You give him a receiver like Devontae Smith, that power run game in Philadelphia gets just a little bit more rejuvenation. So I think it would be wise for teams that are trying to compete next season, try to make the Super Bowl. There's more emphasis today than ever on skill players. And as for the Bengals, yeah, they changed the game. I don't know if they'll be back. They just put their division, the AFC North, on notice that you don't have to have a good O-line to win games. It certainly helps, and it could have been the difference late in the Super Bowl versus the Rams. But they rattled off three wins in a row this postseason, all as underdogs, with a good quarterback, perhaps a great quarterback, and a good receiving game. Loved T. Higgins, covered him in high school. Loved Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd. And a complimentary running game, a good, decent running back in Joe Mixon. It's what the Chiefs have. It's what the Bucks had with Brady. And the Rams, of course, as we pivot to the Super Bowl champions, congratulations. Hello, Stan Kroenke. Didn't even have that great of a running game. Didn't have anything going. But it's Cooper Cup, Odell Beckham, Van Jefferson. Those guys were the difference makers. And a good quarterback, Matt Stafford. You can tell me he's great. I'd accept that. And it really took that fourth quarter drive where Stafford and Cup took over to separate the winner from the loser in this game. Get out of here with the missed uh, pass interference call on T. Higgins. Get out of here on that holding call against the Bengals when the Rams were in the, the red zone. The Rams did have the better team. This was obvious. They had the more talented players. They had the better stars. And they took over in that fourth quarter. And that's the difference of the game. Hear a lot of talk about Sean McVay, head coach possibly retiring, Aaron Donald possibly retiring. I don't know what those questions were uh, immediately after the Super Bowl. Uh, Matt Stafford is in his 30s. And what else? These are good questions, and I'm sure they'll be thinking about them. What else do they have to prove now? Aaron Donald has had an amazing career. He's only 30 years old, but he's made, what, eight Pro Bowls? the best defensive player of his era. Stafford finally wins his Super Bowl. Sean McVay is 36, but burns very hot. What else do they have to prove to themselves in their career? And yes, people will go on for the love of the game, for the passion, for the opportunity to earn more and win more. But I think as we turn a new chapter on the NFL... Some greats have retired in the past couple of years. And in particular, Tom Brady retiring. Tom Brady's identity was football. And if he could have had it anyway, it probably would have been to go out on top. And I'll be darned, he was at the top of his game this last season. Probably was deserving of MVP. Won a Super Bowl the previous year with the Bucks, and decided there's more to life than football. I bet you that's what McVeigh is thinking right now. And he just reached the pinnacle of his sport, and he's more than capable of doing it again. Aaron Donald, too. There is plenty of hardware in their future if they want it, if it matters, or does McVeigh have different aspirations? Front office, consulting, private business. World's his oyster. Aaron Donald will be very successful outside of football. Matt Stafford will too. Cooper Cup would too. You see the shift in focus once you've tasted this success. There's a whole lot more to life than football. Having grown up in St. Louis, I think the best example 
I can think of that comes to mind is Tony La Russa, longtime manager of the Cardinals, was in Oakland before that with the Athletics, won a World Series at both stops, actually won two with the Cardinals, and in 2011, didn't perform great that year, but they made a run in the postseason, won the World Series as like an 83-win team, and Tony decides, I'm out. People might have been calling for his head anyway, year before, year after. No, that was it. And obviously, he came out of retirement and started anew. But I think for many athletes, coaches, and front office people, that's how you want to go out on top. The Tony La Russa, the Peyton Manning Super Bowl win. And this is an opportunity for Sean McVay, for Aaron Donald, to expand their horizons to look further. Wouldn't blame them if they did. Wouldn't blame them if they stayed around and tried to start a dynasty. We got a couple of interviews today. We're going to start with a Utah State football great, uh, former NFL receiver. He had stops with the Green Bay Packers, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and Tennessee Titans. Also played some quarterback and arena football and indoor football. Also played abroad in Finland in 2019. It's DeAndre Burrell. How are you doing today, DeAndre? I'm blessed. How about yourself? I'm fantastic. You said you're out in California right now. How come? Uh, so I had a mental health event with the Minority Psychology Network. So that's they're based in L.A. And I'm a board member there. So uh, we had an event yesterday. And we had panelists. So we had former NFL player uh, Chucky. Uh, it's Chucky Miller, and uh, he used to play for the Colts, UCLA Bruin. He's one of the panelists. Um, I was one of the panelists, moderators slash panelists, and uh, it's just a, it's a pretty good event. You know, uh, the first pa- uh, panelists they came from Dallas, Texas. They were all women, and um, they had their uh, experience and story and testimony. So it's pretty good just to hear from everybody and where they've came from and how they've came out of those things. What inspired you to get involved uh, with mental health? Well, just because, uh, you know, with athletes overall, not just football players, I think we put so much pressure on ourselves. We have a gift and a talent that maybe others do not have, right? The athletic ability, um, the ability to learn differently. Um, we have those abilities and we stick to them, but we're just so tough on ourselves in sports. Like my experience, I was tough on myself with sports and just overall with, with athletes, you're tough on yourself and you're hard on yourself and you got your coaches being hard on you. Then you got other people looking up to you Then you got your family So that's a lot of pressure. Mentally, that's a lot of pressure. And I just feel like, um, you know, athletes um, need that mental health, like to talk about. They need to talk about their experiences and ups and downs, because most of the time we are um, taught to push through things. So we cover those things up by pushing through, but not necessarily understanding why those experiences will, um, you know, kind of hinder us or hold us back as we move forward from sports. So now we're living in a, in a world where we're done with sports and we're trying to figure out what our next passion is or we're trying to figure out why we get upset so easily, why we get sad easily, um, why, you know, when people talk to us, maybe we don't receive constructive criticism from someone else because it's like, well, you're not my coach. You know, you don't know what you're talking about. So it just goes so far um, into it. It's, it's like amazing to me. So uh, my experience with that, just my personal experience, again, is, you know, certain things that I didn't know what to do um, when I was done playing or like maybe when I got cut. I don't consider myself done playing, but like when I got released from a team, it's like, what do I do? Who do I talk to? You know, all this pressure is on me. How are people looking at me? Now we start creating thoughts in our mind like we're not good enough. And, um, you know, it's just sports, right? Because it's only uh, we're passing through that, right? We can't do it forever. So we're passing through. 
and um, however we can impact people through sports, um, it just teaches us different uh, principles in life. How did you find a compatible career match outside of football? Uh, I think just for me, I was really into working out. I think it started because I would always want to train with people, right, like with trainers. And then sometimes I wouldn't get the result that I wanted, right? I'd, I'd ask them like, hey, you know, uh, can we work on this? Can we work on my legs? Can we work on speed? Can we work on explosion? And then as I kept going, it's like, well, man, you're giving me workouts that everybody else is doing, but I know what I need. So can you help me with it? And I would just go for like a couple of weeks and then I would just do my own thing and train myself. And then I started seeing the results that I wanted. So I'm like, okay, I'm able to understand my body, understand my mind, understand how, how much I can push myself. And uh, just, you know, I, I remember create, uh, not creating, but uh, there was an app called, I forgot the name of the app, Coach Up. That's how I created a profile on there. And then a parent co contacted me and that's how I got my first client. Um, but that's how all that started going. Like, I just wanted to see better results for myself for performance. And then I was just like, you know what? I should just start training people, training kids and helping them because I can see what I need in my body and my mind. And I could teach them the same thing. You mentioned as an athlete feelings of, of self-doubt, of pressure, those intense feelings that you're sometimes taught to push through. When you faced setbacks, how did you effectively cope? with those types of feelings? So effectively, I think um, it was like a, it was effective in a way where I would go to practice. Some things would still, like some of those things would still bother me in practice, but again, just like your mentality, we're, th we're taught to push through. So when I'm at practice, I'm able to deal with it, right? Okay, we're at practice. Let me perform. I don't want to get cut. But then when we leave the field, it's like, man, I didn't know what to do. You know what I mean? Like, it was tough to be effective in coping um, because sometimes I wouldn't be playing or, you know, I wouldn't. I'm trying to think like it's crazy because I'm thinking about it. I'm like, man, like I wouldn't play. I wouldn't be playing. So sometimes I, it, I would express myself to other people. You know, and they would have an understanding, but it was more so like I needed that coach outside of sports to hear me out um, and to hear my voice and let them know, like, hey, how do you how do I deal with this? How, you know, I'm not playing. I'm not getting uh, playing time right now. I'm doing everything I need to do in practice. Um, but it was it was I'm going to say it was tough at that time to be effective to cope. And I would do things that I probably wasn't supposed to do, like going out, you know what I mean? Like drinking and, and I would go to practice the next day and I wouldn't care about my teammates. I'm just like, you know what? Forget this. Like, I'm just going to do me at practice. And I would. I would do everything I was supposed to do. It was just my thoughts. You know, they weren't right. Like I knew how to handle it on the field, but off the field, it was tough because it felt like there was no one there. So to answer that question, I don't feel like I was being effective to cope with it um, outside of it, like outside of practicing and playing. But when I was in practice and playing, I knew, hey, I'm gonna just push through this. If you could go back to those moments, what would you change? Um, I don't know, man. I, I, I don't know if I would change anything like possibly just not be getting upset so easily, right? Uh, understanding what the process was for DeAndre. You know, for me, it's my faith, knowing where God was taking me. And maybe he just, he knew to protect me um, from something, right? Because sometimes we want something so bad and uh, God tells us, no, that's not for you. I'm protecting you from this. Because who knows, you know, the blessing at that time, and maybe I thought I was ready, but he didn't want me to have that exact moment in time because it's like I, I take a look back and when I was playing in Arizona, that was probably my lowest point. And um, my Achilles tendon was always hurting, right? And I would push through practice and I could like I'm barely walk, like 60% walking, 
normal because the tendon, there was a bone growing in my tendon. And I didn't find out until the following year when I tore it at a, a workout and had, you know, of course I had my surgery and then I ended up playing overseas again. That was my best season playing quarterback. This was crazy after eight years. But at that time it was always hurting. And, um, you know, God, I feel like God was just protecting me from hurting it at that time because he knew what low point I was at already. So now if I would have had injury, I probably wouldn't have been able to deal with it in that moment in time. So he was preparing me for what he was going to do in uh, regenerating me and restoring my strength and, and bringing me back so I could go play two years later and have the best season that I've had in my career. So, you know, I wouldn't change anything. It was all a process. Just sometimes we don't see the process while we're in it. You know, we don't see the blessing in disguise or we don't see like, hey, um, God, what does this have to do with anything right now? You know what I mean? Like, why, why am I going through this? What does this have to do with what I'm doing? And um, it's just a blessing how he'll bless you and uh, just like um, abundantly and amazing and you won't even know. And I, I, I wouldn't change anything. That's, that's the answer to your question. I wouldn't change anything. You trusted in God. You ended up going to Finland in 2019 and having a great season at quarterback. That's that's really impressive. You mentioned uh, former Colts defensive back and UCLA alum Chucky Miller spoke at this event today that you were at. Uh, how effective was his testimony? Um, it was big, man. Um, he was just a blessing. You know, I sat right next to him. And it was just like, wow, like he didn't realize certain things he was going through or dealing with and things were coming up for him, being able to express how he felt and being able to express, you know, what he went through while playing and he felt the pressure, you know, he felt the pressure in high school. He went to Long Beach Poly, went to UCLA got drafted uh, in the 80s and, um, you know, he felt the pressure he had to to do things and prove and show like the community what he can do. And it was just amazing hearing his testimony talking about he couldn't deal with it because, it, you know, he didn't have anyone to speak to. He felt like he was alone um, because of injuries and stuff. So he just stopped, stopped playing. You know what I mean? He needed that coach. He needed someone to speak to and just powerful how, even through those moments, he has his own businesses and just pushing through because everything he set his mind to, he went to go do it. And um, one of the big things he spoke about was he never really celebrated his success, you know, and he knew he was going to do it. And he never took uh, took a look back and said, man, like celebrating it. And um, sometimes we just again, I feel like the mentality as an athlete, we push through things and we don't recognize or realize like, let's just stop, take a deep breath, think about the things we've achieved, not just in football, outside of football and, you know, all over, like all around overall, what have we done in our life? And think about those things like, wow, we did amazing things. And then that pressure gets taken off our shoulders because we're always used to pushing, pushing. Like I said, it's always a push through, go, 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 go. When we slow down, you take time to think, um, relax your mind, you'll be peaceful in everything that you do. So it was just a blessing to hear him talk. And I was inspired and I'm thankful that, you know, those moments popped up for him. And, you know, I feel like he's free from those things. Like he felt good leaving, leaving the event. It's like the old saying, a workaholic's work is never done. Athletes are constantly taught to push through things and grind through it and, and focus on what's ahead. It seems like you have an appreciation for where your career has taken you and the highs and lows throughout the way. How did you redefine success from your different stops from the NFL to Arena Football League to indoors uh, to overseas? Uh, just like, I mean, NFL was tough because I was playing receiver. And um, I just always felt like I needed that opportunity. Went to play Sabercats, 
you know, got injured, shoulder, AC joint. It was like the second game I was actually – I was going to start. AC joint off the first play, kickoff. I'm like, man, what the heck? So I came back like three or four weeks. And it was tough, like, because I was starting and then the next person moved up. So I just kept practicing. Um, you know, coaches had their um, opinions about me and, oh, you know, you need to be more explosive. And I'm like, okay, okay. I don't understand, you know, I, for me, it was more like, I don't understand, be more explosive. I'm, I was playing in the NFL, more explosiveness. I don't understand what you're saying. You know what I mean? So that, that kind of made me feel like, what are you talking about? Um, but I just kept pushing, you know, I didn't take no for an answer. That was how I kept moving. I didn't take no for an answer because I knew my abilities and I knew that the right person, um, the right person believed in me. It's only, it only takes one person. So then I went to, uh, Spokane empire and coach Shackelford gave me the opportunity. I came like the eighth game and, you know, he's seen my ability and he put me at every position on the field, uh, indoor football, started off playing Y position. I remember all the positions, the H, the Z and the W. So I was moving all around and um, had about like 26 catches for 300 and something yards, four TDs. Um, but I knew my ability. He's seen my ability. And um, we went to the indoor championship game. We ended up losing, but I knew from then I was like, okay, cool. I can play receiver. You know what I mean? So I kept pushing through, went to the LA kiss right after the season, um, suited up for a couple games, went through that and played Arizona. I'm like, okay, new opportunity. I'm like, all right, what am I wanting to do here? Um, because I still want to play in the NFL, CFL. Kept pushing through. And um, I was just, I just stayed. I feel like after 2017 is when I really redefined it. And going through workshops, seeing who I truly was, understanding that the NFL doesn't make me. I make the NFL, right? Because the NFL needs DeAndre. I need to, you need me to sign that contract for me to perform for you. Um, and just looking at things differently because in the NFL, right, if, if everybody didn't want to play, there would be no NFL. So you need the players. Like, we need you, but you need us more. Because if we decide, hey, we don't want to play, then that's it. So looking at things from a different perspective, um, after 2017 is when I really started seeing my success. And uh, things being lightened off my shoulders, um, going to the CFL minicamp, surgery on my Achilles tendon, right? Came back from that. You know, of course, the doctors are going to say, oh, you're not going to be the same. But I knew that I was going to be even greater because I actually had a bone in my tendon. And when they took that out, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be good now. Came back. Um, I started going to those CFL workouts. Went overseas within a week, started four games going in. I was upset. My arm didn't feel as strong at that moment in time, frustrated. I'm like, okay, talk to my pastor. He said, DeAndre, if it's to be, it's up to you, right? Like, it's on you. You got to make them better. Once he told me that, I took that as like a God divine word. And I said, you know what? You're right. So the fifth week of the season, we played 12 games, fifth week of the season, started having my best practices. I started writing down like goals for the game, of who's going to have a certain amount of yards, how many yards I'm going to throw for, touchdowns I'm going to throw for. And from that point on, like, I was just like, wow, like it all happened. And um, like I said, like the last four games of my football um, season in Finland, I threw for 23 touchdowns in four games. In the last three games, I called the plays because we didn't have offensive coordinator. So I, I, I was just like, you know what? It is up to me. You know what I mean? And I just thank God for giving me the ability and trusting me to, to handle that as a leader. So those, when, 
that's when things started changing. And even in my life, uh, just the way I was thinking, the way I was believing um, and letting go of things so God can propel me to go forward. It seems like those were the habits and traits that made you an effective leader. You've said in the past that quarterback is a leadership position and they put all their trust in you to kind of drive the bus from there on out. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, I just always felt like that. You know, I felt like that was my calling to be a quarterback. So God wants me to be a quarterback in life. You know, it doesn't mean I can't learn from anybody else because we need knowledge and wisdom. Um, and in order to excel and go up, I need that. You know, I don't know everything. And if I'm the only person in my group that's operating at the highest level, well, how am I going to get higher? It's no discredit to anybody else, but it's I need someone else to help me elevate. So now I have to get a mentor. I need to speak to a coach or I need that knowledge and wisdom from people that have been through things or have had an experience that I haven't had. You mentioned you don't consider your playing career over. Which opportunities are you looking forward to moving forward? Well, you know, um, I really, it has to be the right, right, right thing, the right timing and what God wants me to do. I do, of course, the performance, health and wellness training, fitness training for youth athletes, high school athletes, and then adults that desire to stay healthy and fit. Also being an impact speaker. So I want to be able to balance everything and have everything operating and flowing. And God presents that opportunity, whether it's CFL, whether it's overseas again or indoor, it just has to be the right thing. And, um, you know, playing quarterback, that's what I love to do. Good. I'm glad you're sticking to that. Like if you know what you're destined to be, if you know what the right fit is for you, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to, to settle for less. So I wish you luck in that regard. And I think you'll find something you. that, that fits with you. We connected through Alex Green. When did you first meet him? Uh, met him in Green Bay. We actually played against each other at Utah State. And uh, when I was at Utah State and he was at Hawaii, he got drafted fourth round. I signed. And after that, man, we were just really close, really close. And he was just a great friend, great friend, great person, uh, man of God. He was always in his Bible. And uh, we just had a goal, you know, we would always talk and we stay connected and we, we knew we should be playing, you know what I mean? We supported each other. So it was pretty good. That rookie season, his breakout game against the Vikings week seven, he tears his ACL and things never really got back to normal for him. What toll did you see that injury take on him? Um, I think just more so the fact that he was young, you know, um, he was young and it's just like, how do you deal with this? You know, injury, you just get drafted. You're supposed to be a guy that's playing and injury sets you back. And, you know, we think, you think about all those things. And that's, I feel like at that time, I don't know who he was speaking to, you know, outside of me, but it's just like, we need that mentorship. You know, we're, you're injured at a young age and you haven't been injured before. And you're playing in the NFL, it's like, what do you do? How do you deal with it? And where do you go? And am I going to be the same? Because at that time, it's like, oh, ACL, it's, it's bad injury. You know, how do you come back from it? So, so I think just mentally, you know, and mentally, how you doing? Yes, sir. Yep. Um, I think mentally, um, he was just like struggling with that part, like how he could come back from it. Yeah, he told me at the time he didn't really feel he had an outlet to communicate what was sort of a crisis of identity because at the time he did think that his career had the potential to be over. Um, and the trainers assured him, no, no, it's fine. But he felt this onus to rush back. Uh, and he struggled as a result of that, particularly um, with alcohol. And he told me that not a lot of people knew about that struggle, that he kept it private for a long time. When did you become aware um, of his fight? I don't, I'm not even sure. Um, you know, I think we started hanging out a little bit more. We would just go out together. I will come to his apartment. He would come through. And um, I never really knew all that he was going through. You know, we would just talk and 
I think when he came back from injury, I could tell, like, you know, sometimes it would bother him when he's on the field. And it's like, man, like, I know he would be thinking about it. You know, soreness, trying to play, operate, and operate at a high level. I could just see, like, that part on the field would be bothering him. And I'd just be like, dang, man, I just want you to play because I know you can. And it felt like I was in it together with them because, you know, we want to play. We're, we're supporting each other. So if I see you make a play in practice, I'm going to make a play in practice. Or you see me make a play in practice, now you're going to make a play in practice. And now we're just creating that bond and that that team um, camaraderie and just with each other and just being in agreement. You know, that's in the Bible. Um, two or three come into agreement. You know what I mean? Matthew 18 and 20. It's like even on the field, like it was like a – I'm going to help you elevate. You're going to help me elevate. And that's what we felt. You've talked to him on your own show about his addiction and, and getting through it and recovery and, and his dreams for the future now. How did that revelation of his affect you? Um, I think just from me hearing it, it's like, wow, those things happen to you. I'm like, wow, those things happened to you. I never understood that that was like going through in your life. Like you were going through that in your life. So for me personally, it it made me realize like, wow, we were actually going through the same things at the same time. We just didn't talk about it. We didn't know about it. And just hearing him going through that, it's like, man, I didn't, I had no clue. Because, you know, when you post pictures or post stuff on social media, again, you don't know. Or if you haven't had that conversation in a while, you're just thinking, hey, they're doing well. They look like they're doing well. You know, he's still playing Canadian football. He's still doing this. He's still going here. So just in general, it kind of made me feel like, man, you weren't the only one. So you weren't by yourself. Because at that time, I was going through my thing with not playing depression uh, sadness, you know, thoughts of suicide, those things that we don't really talk about because we hold it in. So I just felt like that was a blessing to hear him and uh, for him to talk about it, release it, let it go. And just for me to hear it was was good because now I'm like, man, you know, I went through certain things, too. And now we could talk about it. We can relate and we can help other people grow out of what they're stuck in. Mm-hmm. When you finished at Utah State, you were second all-time in passing yards and total offense. Uh, you're now fourth uh, behind some pretty darn good athletes, including uh, current Packers quarterback Jordan Love. You ever met him or talked to him at all? No, I have not. You know, hopefully we can meet one day, have a conversation, and, you know, talk about football, talk about life. And, uh, you know, just never know. Maybe I can help him um, in his journey playing quarterback, whatever that may be, just being or you know, no tips, you know, for him to believe in himself, just continue to operate at a high level. You know, it doesn't matter what people say, just just continue to be you, the best you, grow into who God wants you to be, and, uh, you know, play at that high level. You can do it. How much do you keep up with the Packers and your former teammate Aaron Rodgers? Uh, I've been this past year, man, I, I was really excited. Um, I, I truly believe he is the greatest quarterback. I know people are going to have their questions with that. You know, Tom is great, too. Um, I just Rodgers uh, because I played with him. And just seeing his ability to throw the ball, he could spin the ball. Um, it's just amazing, you know, how – in practice he throws the ball and the, the ball just sticks to your hands it's not even like a hard pass he has a strong arm but the way he flicks it off his wrist the way he throws it it's like I don't know man it's like the, I don't know it's just like perfect and he's never gonna the best thing about Aaron he's never going to throw a pass and get you set up to hit get hit by a, a defender it's always like in the most perfect spot and um that is that a wide receiver appreciates 
um, the, the ball that's not going to get you hit by a defender. That's awesome. DeAndre, what else am I missing? Yeah, you covered everything, man. It's just, uh, it's just like, uh, man, just in life, just very grateful for the people that support me. I'm thankful that uh, Alex mentioned me to you and um, you being a blessing to me. I hope I've been a blessing to you. And just grateful that, you know, I had this opportunity to do the interview. And, you know, I, I, I pray that your success goes a long way and all that you want to do and that you're doing now and that God opens up the doors for you and puts you on a platform uh, to where you can impact people's lives the way you intend to, the way you want to, um, the way you've been like asking to. And, um, you know, just for the world is to know how great they are as a person, you know, set aside work, set aside um, all those things, all those distractions and just realize who you are and look in the mirror and really uh, love yourself for who you are and to know that you are great and you can be great and you will be great. Just keep pushing towards your goals um with yourself you know that's the main thing yourself better yourself so you can be better in everything else that you do and that's it deandre burrell thank you so much for your time thank you for joining the show i appreciate this conversation yes sir i appreciate you too on the subject of mental health i'm happy to bring on our next guest who's worked for the trust powered by the nflpa for almost seven years now it's lachey davis williams she's a senior program manager at the trust lachey thank you so much for joining us today sure thank you for having me you're a senior program manager at the trust and the nflpa says the mission is to transition football players with resources and support for off the field success how does your position aim to achieve that vision? Sure. So as a program manager, um, essentially, I'm the central point of contact for our members. That's what we, we call them when they're when former players enroll in the trust. We, we call them members um, as a, as the central point of contact. My job is to educate our members on the different programs and resources that are available to them. Um, as well as to learn more about them, where they are in their transition, what their interests are, um, if there are any specific needs that also need to be to be addressed. Um, and then based on, on that, um, connecting them with the programs and resources that are available that align specifically with that and helping them come up with a game plan um, to achieve those goals post-NFL career. In constructing that game plan, what do players most often struggle with after their playing career? So I would say it's a combination. You know, one of the things I think that um, those who were involved did a really good job of prior to the, the trust being launched in November of 2013 is really focusing on and determining what are the areas that we can um, address, where are, um, what are, what are the needs, understanding you can't be everything to everyone. And, you know, the three pillars that we we operate um, from include health and wellness, personal and professional development, which includes, you know, continuing education, um, career transition, entrepreneurship, as well as our community and connections pillar, which is really about keeping guys connected, um, that camaraderie, that locker room feel that they've been very much accustomed to and used to, um, which is also a huge part of that of that transition. Um, so under each of those pillars, we have specific programs and resources that we offer. We have partners that we work with, um, across the country who are really the experts who do a lot of the heavy, heavy lifting, um, in each of those areas. But I would say those three are definitely the, um, the top areas that where there's an interest and, or a need, you know, it's just figuring out what's what's next? Everyone doesn't have that, that plan in place before their NFL career begins. So we help them um, through that. There's no specific timeline or timetable for that. However much time it takes, we at the trust 
continue to work with our members um, around that game plan, of course, modifying as, as needed, because sometimes the goals, you know, change, the interests change, the needs, you know, change. Um, but that's, that's essentially what we, what we do. I was talking to a couple of former players this past week, one of whom connected us, Alex Green, and they both mentioned post-playing career in the NFL, at least, there was this small crisis of identity that kind of grew, that there, it was hard to find something more to life than football. In your position, what are the first steps you take when someone is trying to make that step from professional athlete to a greater player in their community? Sure. So part of part of our enrollment process um, is is scheduling former players with a program manager like myself, um, where we do get pretty in in depth into um, who they who they are, um, learning about you know their experience transitioning, where they are now, what their goals are, learning some of their background even from an educational standpoint. Um, depending on where you know a guy may be in his transition, whether he's a few months out or he's been out for five, 10 years, again, the, the focus and the needs and even what's led him to the organization could be different. You know, sometimes we have guys who come to us because they found out we have career services available and they're in transition career-wise, but it's not necessarily their first career out of the NFL. Um, then you do have those who maybe, you know, fresh out of the league and they're not quite sure what they want to do, you know, next. So we connect them with our career partners who do a really good job of, um, spending that time that's really dedicated doing some of those assessments around their strengths, their skills, their background, what are those transferable skills from the NFL um, that can support them in their transition moving forward into, into what's next. Um, I think our partners do a really good job of working together holistically with our team at the trust around um, any barriers that may come up, challenges that may come up. There may be some things that come to a partner's attention or to my attention that others may not be aware of. We do a good job of communicating and supporting the former player around, around whatever that specific need or interest may be to help get him to where it is that he, that he wants to be. Um, but one of the things I can say that I've learned is that it's not an easy transition for, for many. Um, there are a lot of questions. You know, These guys are so used to a significant amount of, of structure, organization, you know, a similar or same routine for a very long period of time. Um, they have played professional football at the highest level and achieved what so many are unable to, to achieve that what that identity looks like outside of football is not always clear. Um, some don't always, they're not always aware of what are my strengths? What are the things that I'm really good at? What am I passionate about? So part of what we do even as program managers is, is having those conversations, asking some of those questions um, and then supporting them. It's not something that we necessarily expect them to have an answer to right away. Um, it may be something that develops over time, again, through the work that we do with our, with our partners. You mentioned something in there that you are able to identify specific points or strengths or interests from former players. What are you most sharp or experienced at, at drawing out of people and finding in people? So my educational and professional background is in, in social work. Um, I've been in social work for, for 20 years, which is a profession all about working with people, uh, developing, you know, build, really building those relationships, establishing a rapport and trust. And I think part of that um, you can only do effectively if you're a good listener. So one of the things that um, I found as a, you know, as a strength and really important to the work that I do is listening, understanding and hearing each individual story, learning what some of those shared experiences are, um, where are some of the patterns. There are certain things that I hear from guys all the time, or I hear a lot, but also appreciating the unique experiences that each of them may, you know, may have. Um, so I think being able to establish that trust early on, especially since, again, a lot of the work that we do is by phone and email, that piece is really important. And depending upon the type of experience that a former player has had, um, what their views may be on their career, the NFL, um, other people who have been very um, involved in their professional career up to this point. 
I understand that they bring that into that initial conversation with me as well. So there could be a sense of, of distrust um, or there could just be questions around, mm, I'm not really sure if this is for, for me or what this, what this is. I think one of the, the, the things that I found really valuable over the years and why I think it's important during that enrollment conversation to go over every benefit that's available through the trust, not just what they may be expressing interest in when they, when they call in to get enrolled is because it's not for them. We know our guys keep in contact with others. We, we know they have brothers, they have former teammates um, that they played with. They may hear about a, a program or a resource that's not for them, but there's someone they can think of who would benefit from it. And I get a lot of guys who are, are referred to us from someone else. You know, another former player has told them to reach out or to, or to call. And I think that trust being established with other former players and former teammates is also really, um, really important. And I think it speaks to the work that we that we do at the trust. You mentioned you have extensive work in, in social work. You've helped children's underserved communities, college students, families. What fueled your desire to take on this line of work? So as a teenager, I knew that I wanted to to help people for a long time. Um, the plan was to be um, a lawyer and I was going to go on eventually to be a family court family court judge. Um, but I knew as a teenager, based on some things that I went through and some friends and other people around me what, that they went through, I knew I wanted to help others and help improve their their life. And there was a close family friend at the time who we were just having a conversation one day and she asked me, you know, what do you want to what do you want to do when you you know finish high school and go to college? Do you have any thoughts? And I said, well, I know that I definitely want to help others and I want to work with people. Um, and she said, oh, you want to be a social worker. And I said, what's that? I, said, you, I mean, you telling me that there's actually a profession for helping people? And she said, yes. And um, she was my introduction to social work at the time. She was a, a social work administrator with probably close to 20 years experience at the time um, for a local hospital. And that was my introduction to social work. And, you know, I did some research, looked into it, went to school, um, learned a lot, loved it, got a, a lot of really good experience. Um, and I've had no regrets, um, no, no second, second guesses or, or turning back. It's been um, a really good experience for me. And you've done a great job helping people. Alex was very open and shared his story with me last week and, and really didn't hold anything back. He was in a very low place and he said that reaching out to you was really the, the first step that, that took him on uh, his path to sobriety and that it, it was a difference maker. And how does the NFLPA train you or aid you to help people in crisis? Sure. So, you know, part of it, I think our, our team, um, especially on our service um, side of, of the organization that does the work that I, I shared earlier, um, a lot of us have, you know, social work or mental health or case management backgrounds. So that's, you know, you have the prior experience that you brought in with you. Um, some bring the experience of actually working with, with athletes at different levels, um, which is also a unique set of experience. And then internally, there are um, specific, you know, trainings that we have as a team collectively have taken um, that also assist us in staying on top of, you know, how to assess when a person may be in crisis, um, how to support them and how to get them directly connected to the help, because again, we're not in person. So being able to really have that conversation, um, assess what's going on, ensure that someone stays safe until you can get them connected specifically to that mental health resource. Um, it does take a unique skill set and training to, to do that, which all of our, um, all of our team members have been provided with that training. And then we have other resources that we work with that are available through the NFL and the NFL um, PA, where we can get guys connected, um, you know, if they're in an immediate crisis, again, trying to ensure that safety, whether it's getting them connected to a clinician over, over the phone, because we're not, um, we are not a licensed clinical facility. We are not providing um, counseling or therapy or, or treatment to, to our guys. We're really trying to get them connected to those resources that are available in their community. So it, it may be getting them connected to a clinician by phone initially. It may be um, getting them safely to a, a local hospital 
um, or facility where they can be assessed and receive the appropriate treatment. We also have, um, have partnerships with two inpatient facilities for our members. So those who may be struggling with some mental health or substance use issues, we can get them to facilities where they can receive up to 45 days of, of treatment. Um, and one of the, the great things about our partnerships is it's not just focused on the, the mental health aspect or the substance use, they're really holistic programs um, that also have experience with working with uh, professional athletes and other you know, pr professions as well um, to address all of the holistic needs, which is really critical to kind of maintain or continuing that game plan um, once they leave the inpatient um, facility. And then one other benefit we have is called our supplemental mental health benefit. So this is really for those who are uninsured or underinsured who may want to access um, mental health resources, but don't have you know, insurance coverage or coverage that extends to addressing the mental health or substance use needs. So this benefit, we're actually able to cover um, up to $10,000 worth of, of mental health or substance use treatment on an outpatient basis. So, you know, if someone is in an inpatient facility and they're transitioning back, you know, home, but of course want to continue with those services, want to continue to make the progress that they've, you know, that they've begun while they were in the inpatient um, facility, we're able to connect them with this resource and ensure that they're connected with a, a local therapist or they're connected with a psychiatrist if that's what's recommended once they return home or where, wherever that community may be once they leave. And that, that supplemental mental health benefit um, isn't just tied to inpatient partnerships. That could be someone again who um, you know, is, needs to do an inpatient, I mean, an intensive outpatient program or um, wants to see a therapist or a psychiatrist on an outpatient basis, this benefit can cover the cost so that we're able to remove the out-of-pocket expense that our, you know, our members would have as it relates to those services. How long did it take you to grow comfortable helping people in urgent situations? So I would say that's, that's something that I had experience with prior to um, coming to the trust. But again, I think it's different with the trust because you're over the phone. So you don't have that face-to-face um, you know, communication. You're not able to see a person's body language. Um, you're, you're really going off of their verbal and nonverbal verbal cues. So that's something that I do have, you know, educational experience and then professional training on. But with this, within this work specifically, um, I think the more you do it, the more you're having the conversations, the more that you learn about this population um, and their unique experiences, it lends itself to being able to pick up on, on certain things because it's not always sometimes what a person says, sometimes it's what they don't say, but it's also the ability to, and the comfort with asking follow-up questions. Um, so a lot of what I do is asking open-ended questions, allowing you know, former players to respond, um, to share whatever it is that they wanna say, and then following up on, on those questions. And that generally guides the, the conversation. Um, and if there are specific things that I need to, you know, to, to probe further or get additional information on, I'm trained, trained to do that. I've been at the trust now for six and a half years. So I can't, I can't pinpoint any, I can't tell you if it took me six months or nine, nine months. Um, but I would say that definitely my social work background and experience definitely helped with, with that comfort. Mm -hmm. In Alex's situation, what do you remember from that day and that phone call? So I, I'm not able to speak to any specific, um, you know, former players or, or experiences. Um, what I can say is that I think this is one of the areas where, as it pertains to mental health, um, the more we as a society are, you know, removing the stigma, the more that we're talking about it, um, the more people come out and say, you know what, I'm struggling, I'm having a hard time, I need help, um, and saying that it's okay to not be okay, 
um, it's easier for us to start having these, these conversations. Um, I think when you're able to remove the sense that many people have and feel at times that they're, they're the only one or that they're alone. And when you learn about it and you hear that maybe others are, are having similar experiences as you, you may be more open to, to seeking help um, or asking help. But I think it also goes back to that trust. It doesn't have to be that a person is reaching out to um, a, you know, a, a therapist. It's who's that person that they trust. And then when they connect with that person, whoever it is that they're, they're speaking to, they're trusting, being able to get them to the appropriate um, you know, mental health professionals who are really able to assess what's going on, make recommendations, and then move forward as it pertains to any kind of treatment needs. How happy are you to see the product of your work, someone like him, turn it around and get the help and, and become a better person afterwards? I would say that this this work is very, very rewarding. Um, and every day I have an opportunity to see the progress that former players are making in their lives, whether it's related to their health, their mental health, going back to school, um, completing degrees, going on further in their education. I've worked with, with guys who have completed undergraduate, graduate, doctoral um, degrees, nursing school, medical school, um, some who have used our, our scholarship where they can be awarded up to $20,000 per year to go towards tuition and fees, um, where, you know, they've utilized that benefit multiple times for multiple degrees or, or certifications. Um, it's those who are starting out and they're not sure what they want to do yet professionally, but they work with our career partners. They develop a plan. They work the plan. They land, they land a job is those who start out with ambitions and goals to you know, start businesses. Um, it starts out as, as an idea, as a thought. It may be some notes on, on paper. And we have, we have an entrepreneurship education program that is also another added benefit to help those who are trying to figure out, is this something one I wanna do as it pertains to, to business? What all goes into it um, from a financial standpoint? Is it feasible for me to do this right right now? That entrepreneurship program is a great resource to help guys navigate that process, which also includes some some coaching from entrepreneurship, you know, professionals. So seeing them start the business, launch the business, seeing it be successful, all of those things keep me coming back each each day. Um, also understanding that we're not just serving former players; that we're also supporting the family understanding that when these guys transition, they're not transitioning alone. They transition with their family, their support, whoever that may, may be. And understanding that that transition also directly impacts the family and or, or the support. So those are all just some examples of what I find rewarding about this work and having worked with over 700 former players in, in six and a half years. I, I can't narrow down just one. Um, you know, success or experience, but um, being able just to build these relationships too and, and knowing that while these guys have played professional football at the highest level, that they're human beings just like you and I, they're people like you and I, um, they have interests, they have things that they enjoy, things they don't like. And what I find is at the end of the day, um, you know, being respectful, being a professional, being true to your word, you know, when you say you're going to do something, actually doing it goes, goes a long, goes a long way. Mm -hmm. Lachey, what else am I missing? You know, I would, I would just say if there are um, other former NFL players who are listening or family members of uh, former players, friends, teammates, agents, anyone in that circle, um, I would just encourage them if the former player they know is not already enrolled in the trust or doesn't know about the trust to, to share th this podcast with them um, or share you know this information with them because this is a benefit that any former player who has at, le at least two credited seasons, they've earned this. So this is like money on the table. These are, these are benefits that they've earned. No one's giving them anything. They earn this through their career. 
that's available to support them through continuing to live their life and live their purpose post post NFL career. And that's what we're passionate about. That's what we do really well. Um, and our goal is to enroll as many former players as as possible. Lachey Davis-Williams, thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk to me. I appreciate this and uh, hope you have a great rest of your 2022 and uh, beyond that. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And that was the podcast. Thanks so much to DeAndre Burrell and Lachey Davis-Williams for coming on. If you liked those conversations, if you liked what I had to say, please like or subscribe to the podcast, share it with someone you know, leave a review and a rating, and we will see you as soon as possible.